You're listening to the Warrior Priest Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. This is the Warrior Priest Podcast. We are your hosts, as always, Bill Winter. Hello again. And I am, most of the time I'm Donovan Riley. <laughs> and this is season three, episode five. We are going to wrap up in this episode our reading of James Stockdale's The Stoic Warriors Triad. Uh, Jim Stockdale was a retired rear admiral when he delivered this address, this lecture to, the, was it the Naval College? Uh, was it that or like Virginia Institute or something? Something like that, um, yeah. But basically it was about his time as a prisoner of war in Hanoi, in the Hanoi Hilton as it was called. And he was a prisoner of war in Vietnam for seven and a half years. And during his time of imprisonment, he developed a very close relationship with the Stoics, especially Epictetus. And he did this because he had so much time to think and because he was basically physically incapable of making decisions for himself at that time, but his mind was free. He went back to his college days and his days of reading the Stoics, and he developed such a keen memory that he was able to recall whole tracts of writings from Epictetus, Marcus Aurelius, Seneca, and others. And so he talks then in this, this essay, this lecture, about how specifically Epictetus got him through that time as a prisoner of war. And as Bill and I were talking about just before we hit record, when we feel like we're trapped, for example, whether we are physically trapped because of some illness or disease or affliction, or whether it's a mental illness, mental affliction, emotional, a crisis of the soul or the spirit, for me anyways, this is why the Stoics have been so helpful because along with my mixed martial arts training, I don't think it's a coincidence that the mixed martial arts training, the more serious that I got about it, I discovered the Stoics. And so for me, anyways, and, and as Bill and I have talked about off air too, as a Christian pastor and as a Christian, there is a lot of overlap between the Stoic philosophy and what we would call Christian ethics, for example. And a lot of the things that the Apostle Paul talks about in his letters as far as how to basically love your neighbor and how to serve your neighbor. And so Paul, the Apostle, will talk about kindness and gentleness, long-suffering, forgiveness. The Stoics talk about these things too. And what we're actually going to get into in this episode then is this whole question of the law, but also good and evil, what it means to be a good citizen, good and evil, what are they? Are they ideas in search of meaning or are they actual realities? Which for postmoderns is probably a really radical thing to consider, yeah, right? <laughs> that they're objective realities, not something that we just kind of manifest ourselves. And yet at the same time, like we talked about in the last episode, specifically when he quoted Solzhenitsyn, good and evil run right down the middle of everyone's heart. And so good and evil aren't in a political ideology. They're not something that is divided by borders uh, between nations. Good and evil run right down the center of every person's heart. Mm -hmm. And therefore, objectively speaking, good and evil are not just ideas. They're not abstractions. They're not philosophical notions in kind of competing with each other. They're objective realities and they become manifest in the world through well us mm. and that's what he's going to drive at now in this uh, conclusion to his lecture so let's dive in mm -hmm. the stoics were good citizens he says in politics the stoic would love his country and hold himself ready to die at any moment at any time to avert its disgrace or his own but a man's conscience was to be higher than any law a man has a right to be responsible, self-ruling, autonomous. Well, there you go. Yep. And as we were talking about, again, before we hit record, this pretty much describes the samurai, too. Oh, yeah. Very much so. If you go back and listen to the uh, Natobe episodes we did on Bushido, he talks about this, especially in relation to suicide. Mm -hmm. yep. Dedicates a whole chapter in it. Well, but notice there, and this is something that's important, something that uh, we, we have more or less forgotten today, responsible self-ruling autonomous right those last two cannot rightly exist without the first right that's true well and the thing too is uh, Marcus talks about this Marcus Aurelius talks about this in the meditations and again this is we call it the golden rule sometimes mm -hmm. uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you 
It's also the Judeo-Christian ethic, love God, love your neighbors yourself. It is that the law is the law, whether you want to call it natural law, the law of God, the law of, of justice, the law of diminishing returns, whatever it might mm -hmm. be, that the law says this is this and this is that. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. Do this, don't do that. And the letter of the law is such that if you break it, there is going to be punishment. Mm -hmm. There's going to be condemnation and judgment. If you obey it, there will be rewards. For example, if I don't violate the speeding laws in my community, I won't get pulled over by the police. I won't get a speeding ticket. I won't have to appear in court. I can live at peace with my neighbors and with the uh, police officers. Yeah. If I break the law, there's going to be consequences. If I break it repeatedly, there's going to be even more extreme consequences at a certain point. But... The point is that the spirit of the law, as Marcus says in Meditations, and as Paul points out, and as all of uh, Jewish scripture points out, love is the basis of the law. Love is the spirit of the law. Mm -hmm. And so as Dr. Martin Luther wrote in the 1520s, that, or 1528 or 1530 in one of his famous sermons, he says, if the law disagrees or contradicts love, then we must act on the side of love and ignore the law because the spirit of the law is love. So if I'm walking on the street and I see someone who's been robbed and, and bleeding and they're you know kind of in the ditch and I stop to help them because I have compassion and I show mercy towards them and, and I pity them and I want to help them. But let's say there's a law that says the Good Samaritan law doesn't hold any uh, account here. And you, if you do help this person, you're going to be breaking the law. Or other people say, hey, don't help that guy. He got what he deserved. He was cheating at poker, and they beat him up and threw him in the ditch and took back their, his winnings because he cheated. Yeah. So he doesn't deserve your mercy or compassion. Well, the law says he deserves what he got. He cheated. He got beat up. That's what he deserved. Love says, look at this person as you would look at yourself. If you were lying there bloody and beaten up in the ditch, even if you deserved it, wouldn't you want someone to stop and help mm -hmm. you? Or at the very least call an ambulance? Yes, I would. So in an, in, in an instant like that then, because love is the spirit of the law, love, compassion, and mercy are the law. And therefore, if the letter of the law violates that, you got to break the law. Yep. But this goes to your point, responsibility. Who am I responsible to? Well, I'm actually responsible to my neighbor, which we've been reading about a lot in, uh, in Stockdale in regards to the, the Stoics, that you know, what is the purpose of being a good citizen? Well, to help my nation and my city, because those aren't abstractions. My country and my city are populated by people, and those people are my brothers and sisters. As Marcus Aurelius says, we are all one. We are all united by the spirit of love. And therefore, the whole reason for my existence, the goal and purpose of my life, is to love my neighbor, love other people, love the citizens of my community, of my town, of my nations. And that by loving them and by helping them, I am loving and helping myself. Mm -hmm. That's responsibility. Not responsibility to protect myself from getting hurt by my neighbor. That's a part of it, for sure. But I'm responsible. I'm autonomous. I'm a law unto myself. That's what autonomy means. Mm -hmm. Auto, law. Or I'm sorry, auto, self. And nomos means yeah. law. But that means if I'm a law unto myself and the spirit of the law is love, that's really what I'm responsible for. Love. Not handing out punishments and rewards based on whether you deserve it or not. Mm -hmm. You know, it, as we record this in September of 2019, September 21st, 2019, when we record this, that's kind of the problem we have socially right now is that, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, if, it, if it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, uh, you end up with... Uh, a whole nation of people with one eye missing all their teeth mm -hmm. because none of us really deserve anything that we get. No, not at all. But we think we do. Mm. We think we're entitled. We think, well, a, you know, a day's pay for a day's work. But just the privilege to earn a day's pay for a day's work is rather unique if you meet people who can't find a job. And so the thought that, well, I'm entitled to this or I deserve this because X, Y, and Z. Well, yeah, but what about your neighbor? What about the person across the street who can't feed his family? What are you doing for them? What are you doing to help them? What are you doing to avert their disgrace? Because if you don't work for the good of your neighbor, you bring disgrace on yourself. Mm -hmm. Which if socially or even individually, all you care about is yourself and getting what you got for yourself, it isn't too long then before the law just becomes the letter. Yeah. Because you're trying to protect yourself. 
You're trying to build these fences and these walls between yourself and everybody else to protect what you got. Mm-hmm. Well, but this is what we see with the gated communities, uh, that, that kind right. of mentality where you have, uh, say, uh, Hollywood celebrities, for an example, who will mm-hmm. sit back and blast everyone on Twitter for all of the horrible things that we do and never lift a finger themselves to do any of right. that. Um, and like we were talking about before and too, what ends up happening then, at least for me, this is what ends up happening is, and this is the reason I can't pay attention to social media. <laughs> I see that and then I start judging them yep. for judging me. Yep. <laughs> and then I, I accuse them of virtue signaling by virtue signaling. Yep. Exactly. Uh, we just, it's, we end up becoming the mirror of the very thing that we don't uh, like or, or even right. hate. Well, I think I said it, I mentioned in the last episode, Marcus Aurelius points out the best way to get revenge on your enemy is to not become like him. Mm-hmm. And he means specifically love yep. and kindness and forgiveness and compassion and mercy. Yep. But do any so, of us really want to forgive? No, because they get what they deserve. Well, we all want our pound of flesh, too. Right, you know, exactly. we, if if yep. you do me wrong, well, I'm just not going to forgive him until he uh, admits he right. was wrong and, you know, apologizes. And, and better do something to prove to me that he's truly sorry. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and I think... All of those things are just a reflection of the fact that ultimately we don't want to forgive. It's hard. Right. You know? Well, I think, too, in our heart of hearts, we actually know that we're unforgivable. And that's be. why we're so harsh towards other people. And we don't love ourselves. And that's why we're so unloving towards other people, too. Yeah. Uh, they, like we talked about in the last episode with that quote from Actitas, most of our tragedies are self-inflicted. Gosh, we just want to blame them true. on other people so we don't have to take responsibility for them. Yeah. So, good and evil. (laughs) Stockdale continues. Where does that leave us? Nothing that is natural can be evil. Death cannot be evil. Disease cannot be evil. Natural disasters cannot be evil. Nothing inevitable can be evil. The universe as a whole is perfect, complete, fulfilled. Everything in it has a place in the overall design. Inevitability is produced by the workings of this mechanism. Events do not happen by chance. They arrive by appointment. There is a cause for everything, and chance is simply a name for undiscovered causes. Neither good nor evil can be abstractions. Epictetus said, Where do I look for the good and the evil? Within me, in that which is my own. But for that which is another's, never employ the words good or evil or anything of the sort. Goods and evils can never be things other that other people do to you or other people do for you. Mm. Why not make health or life be good? Because man deserves the good. And it is better that he not deserve anything he does not control. Otherwise, he will go after what is not his. And this is the start of crime, wars, you name it. Another thing, you do not control God. You must not refer to him as good or evil. Why not? If you pin these mundane terms on him, reciting God is good, people may become tempted. When things God controls run counter to what they're trying to do, whether being unfavorable for farmers or the wind being from the wrong direction for sailors. To start calling him evil, too, that's impious. Remember, says Epictetus, piety must be preserved. Unless piety and self-interest be conjoined, piety cannot be maintained in any man. Mm -hmm. This is such an interesting little meditation here. Is one like we we talked about and discussed in the last episode and mentioned here where do i look for the good and the evil within me in that which is my own my own choices that which is within my control but what about other people don't ever use the word good or evil to describe another person why because good and evil are not things that other people do to you and it's not things that people do for you why well because what they do is out of your control mm-hmm. And as he points out, you have to basically judge what is inevitable. Well, natural disasters are inevitable. Tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes. Diseases are inevitable. Cancer, uh, leukemia, so forth and so on. Death, 
is natural. It's a natural part of life. Everything that lives must die and give away life for a life. Therefore, why do we call them evil? Well, because we can't stop ourselves from making value judgments about things that are not morally good or evil. Mm. And this at root, I believe anyways, theologically and philosophically, this is the root of all of our problems and our personal tragedies, is that we cannot stop ourselves from assigning a moral designation, a moral category to things that are not moral. A storm is a storm. Mm. I, I tell every year by where I live at, uh, about 12 miles from me, there's another city along a river. And every year when it rains heavy, the, the river floods in the city, the businesses along the river get flooded out. And every year it's the same complaint. This is such a tragedy. It's so horrible. That the, no, it's not. You built your business on a floodplain mm-hmm. and then you dammed up a river. Yep. What did you think was going to happen? There's nothing bad about what just happened other than your your choice to build a structure next to a river on a floodplain down river from a dam. Yeah. Or up river from a dam. Mm-hmm. Up river or down river? Hmm. Now I got to think about that. Anyways, the point being is you built it and then this happened. It's this, this is what we do all the time. I was explaining this to a, a eight-year-old yesterday too that, and I've used this example before, you know, for me, God gives us grain and God gives us sugar cane and God gives us water. And these are all good and they are useful for our bodies needs and they're useful for our neighbors needs. I can make bread. I can make cereal. I can make all kinds of different things with some grain, some sugar and some water. But I can also combine those three things in a sack, seal the sack up, put it in a hot place for a week and come back and I've got alcohol. Mm -hmm. And alcohol is poison. Yep. And then I pour that poison in my body and it pollutes my mind, it pollutes my body, messes with my emotions. And then I lament the hangover. I lament the things that I said while I was drunk. I lament what I did while I was drunk. And then I end up asking, God, why would you let me do this? Why did you let me do something so dumb? What does God have to do with that? You took his good gifts that he intended for good and used them selfishly, by the way, to basically poison yourself. Mm-hmm. And then you're complaining that you poisoned yourself. That's, again, that you had a choice. And your choice is either a good choice or a bad choice, morally speaking. Yeah. But grain and sugar and water, for example, I know I'm oversimplifying how alcohol is made. Calm down. <laughs> I'm an alcoholic. I know exactly how alcohol is made. But the point being, very simply, you have some grain, you have some sugar, you have some water, you have fermentation. Mm-hmm. But the point is, if you know it's poison and you know putting it in your body is going to poison you, why do you do it? And then we make up excuses and justifications for getting drunk and for staying drunk and so forth and so on versus no one forced you to drink. No one forced you to take these component parts and put them together to make poison. Mm -hmm. You could have baked some bread or cookies or made some cereal or, you know, had your neighbor over for a barbecue. Could have done that. Could have made a cake, some donuts, some cupcakes for your neighbor. Could have done that. Could have used that water, take a bath or a shower, wash the dog, something. But you decide to combine them and make poison. And then you're going to blame God because you made poison and put it in your body. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, so this is the thing. Go ahead. Th- this whole idea also comes back for Christians, at least, to the garden and the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right, exactly. This idea yeah. of knowing good and evil means necessarily determining good and evil. Exactly. Exactly. Is it's not just that we judge good and evil, it's that we have to determine what is and what is not good or evil. Mm-hmm. For ourselves, by the way. And that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> we want to be autonomous. Yep. Hmm. We want to be a law unto ourselves. So then when it comes to good and evil, because we're autonomous, if we're not responsible and we don't grasp that love is the sum of the law, then what I'm going to do with that law, like I said, is protect myself by any means necessary. And like he points out, that's how crime and wars and you name it start. Mm -hmm. It's like we fight over dirt. We kill each other over rocks. Yep. It's amazing, right? And yet we then say, well, they're evil because they live on that patch of dirt and we're good because we live on this patch of dirt. Yep. Or they've got the rocks in the ground that we need to put on the metal bands that we took from those people over there so that when I want to tell somebody how much I love them, I can put that on their finger. Mm Mm-hmm. 
it's like, and then we're like, well, those people deserve this and those people deserve that. And I deserve this and I deserve that versus, but how is that love? How is that charity? How is that compassion? How are you helping your neighbor live a good life? How, have you asked your neighbor what a good life even looks like to your neighbor? Well, maybe you'll agree. Maybe you won't even agree. Have you even asked yourself? Right, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's the key, isn't it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, and that's why yeah. it, Epictetus here is not saying that there is no such thing as objective good or evil. Right. What he is saying, though, is that you need to focus less on attempting to categorize what right. is good, what is evil and such outside of yourself right. and do more to clean up what is evil within yourself. And this is why the Stoics say, what? Don't talk about what a good man is. Yeah. Be one. Yeah. Exactly. Be one. And, and until it all kind of congealed when I just read that for me, that statement, don't talk about what a good man is. Be mm -hmm. one. Now it congealed with what Epictetus says here, mm. which is exactly that. Is that you want to talk about good and evil? Look in the mirror. Yeah. Yep. Then move forward. Well, it's it's fine to sit around with your buddies at a barbecue and have lofty discussions where you solve mm -hmm. the world's problems. It's a much more difficult thing, but a much more important thing to have that right. conversation within yourself and to do right. that kind of self-inventory, whatever you want to call it, right. where you begin to identify and, if possible, change as many of these things as you can. Right. And this is the danger then, like he points out, of calling God good. Biblically speaking, that is a statement. Jesus actually says to a young man, why do you call me good? There's only one who is good, and that's God. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is that if I define good one way and you define good another way and then we apply that definition to God you get leukemia I win the lottery mm -hmm. for me guess what God is good all the time Yep. until my wife divorces me and I all of a sudden have first second third cousins coming out of the woodwork asking for a handout yep. and I can't trust anybody anymore and I gotta move out of my community and I have to give up you know the, my friends and my family and so forth because all of a sudden this money changed them and it changed me and so forth and so on yeah. now is God good all the time Oh, you're a millionaire. Great. Can you trust anybody with that? Nope. Right? Uh, have your problems doubled, tripled? Have the temptations to good and evil doubled and tripled now because you have all this money and you have access to things that you never had access to before? Yeah. Was it worth losing your wife and your family, your job over this money, this you know paper that when you die, they're going to fight over it? Mm -hmm. Likewise, you're sitting on the other side of the street saying God isn't good because... Well, I have leukemia. How could, how could God allow this to happen? Mm -hmm. And now we're getting into this moral argument about what is good and what is evil. And we're, of course, we're being subjective, like you said, because mm -hmm. subjectively speaking, I'm in a good spot until I'm not. And subjectively, your leukemia goes into remission through chemotherapy and treatment and so forth. And so you're like, God is good. And so I started off saying he's good. And then I lament my lot in life. You start off saying, I hate the bastard. And then you come back around the other side and say, you know what? I was wrong. God is good all the time. Mm -hmm. It's like love. It's like, oh, you just got to love each other. Do you know how much love changes in just a month between two people? Mm -hmm. Because the people are changing all the time. And therefore, love is going to change. And their relation mm -hmm. to each other is going to change over time. This is why I tell everybody, you don't found your marriage on love. You found it on forgiveness. Yeah, exactly. Because forgiveness never changes. Love will change. I do not love my wife the way I loved her 22 years ago. Mm -hmm. Thank God. That was a very juvenile, immature love. But the way that I love my wife today to someone who is 22 years behind me, who's brand new in their marriage, the way that my wife and I interact with each other may actually appear like we hate each other sometimes. <laughs> Where you have a very dark sense of humor, which probably doesn't help the outside observer. <laughs> but the point is, like, I've been there at the birth of five of my children. I've been there when my wife was at her worst. My wife has been there for me when I have been at rock bottom yeah. and she's still with me. So... Our love for each other is super intense, a little bit dark on the humor <laughs> side of things, but also over 22 years, we have shared at some point everything with each other as far as communication goes. Yeah. And we don't hold back from each other to spare each other's feelings. Mm -hmm. So our love for each other is kind of like iron. It's kind of like steel. It's really hard to break. When you're first married, that love is kind of like wood. 
and, and like soft pine even. It's not even really like a hard one. <laughs> and that's why most of you know most marriages end in divorce within the first three to seven years, mm. because it's very fragile initially. And you've got to work. This is the thing that people don't grasp. Yeah. Marriage is hard work. Yep. It's beautiful work, but it's hard. If you want to be married, it's hard work. It requires work. And this this nonsense, since I'm on a tangent, this nonsense that, you know, it's 50-50, that's complete and utter bullshit. Yep. You're, again, that other 50% that you're not in the marriage with, well, what are, you, what are you holding out for? Are you holding out for a better relationship to come along? Or are you holding out for your drinking buddies or your hunting shack or whatever? You either are all in or you're not. Yep. And my opinion is, in this area then, and I counsel people this way, if there is even a little bit of you that you're holding back from this relationship, you probably shouldn't get married yet. Yeah. You gotta figure out why you're holding that part of yourself back from this person, because they need you to be 100% in all the way. Because after you get married, stuff is gonna happen, physically, emotionally, mentally, experientially. Stuff's gonna happen, and you're gonna be tested. Yep. And you're either gonna show up 100% or you're gonna show up some of the time or you're not gonna show up at all. And I tell people, if you got this gut feeling that this guy isn't gonna show up for you when it's crunch time, it's not gonna, trust your gut, there's something wrong. And you don't wanna be there giving birth to a kid going through a cesarean section and you don't know where your husband's at. Mm -hmm. Or it's Friday night and it's midnight and you don't know where he's at or you don't know where she's at because it's not gonna get better. The longer you're married, the worse it's going to get, for sure. <laughs> so if there's any hesitation, figure it out, work it out, figure it out before you get married, because you put that ring on your finger, it, it does change the game, whether people want to admit it or not. When you stand up there before the justice of the peace, the judge, the pastor, whatever, you put that ring on and say, I do, it changes things. Mm -hmm. It really does. And if you don't know what good is, you don't know what evil is, you haven't made those judgments about yourself yet, you haven't been honest with and sober about your, you know, your, who you actually are, and really taking a hard look at yourself in the mirror, then, yeah, like he points out, whether unfavorable for farmers or the wind being in the wrong direction for sailors, well, guess what happens when love goes wrong? Mm -hmm. Are you gonna say God's good? No, of course not, because this relationship's over and you based so much of your hopes and you planned so many things with this person and then all of a sudden you found out, no, we can't, we can't do this. One of us doesn't wanna work out anymore, both of us doesn't wanna work out anymore, whatever it might be. Piety must be preserved. Piety and self-interest have to be conjoined. Piety cannot be maintained in any man if they're not conjoined. Yep. Because what's good for me better be what's good for you. Mm -hmm. Because I'm asking myself the question, would I want to be treated the way that I'm treating this person right now? Would I want this person to hold back from me? Again, like I've gone through this, I've been this guy. The reason that you don't trust your girlfriend or your boyfriend is because you don't trust yourself. Yep. Because you know you've got thoughts and you know maybe you've acted on some of those thoughts and maybe you flirted really heavy at the bar or maybe you, you know, you checked out her best friend and thought to yourself, well, maybe if I can finesse this breakup, I can get her friend to go out with me instead because her friend seems a lot more fun than she is. I've played all these games. I've had side chicks and side, side, side chicks. I've been serially monogamous with people and I've been a bed hopper. I know how to play the game. I did it when I was young. And therefore, every girl that I dated, I didn't trust. One, because most of the girls I dated were also doing the same thing to me I, that I was doing to them, mm. because that's how I met them. But then when I met my wife, well, the person who became my wife, and she was so unlike all the other young women and girls that I dated before that, it really just kind of blew my circuits, because I didn't know, I didn't, I couldn't triangulate her. Because I realized that I don't, I don't think she wants to play that game. Mm -hmm. <laughs> In fact, she hasn't played that game. And I didn't, I didn't know how to relate to her because I knew I could trust her, but I didn't trust myself. Yeah. And so I tried to sabotage the relationship a number of times. And even after we got married, I tried to basically force her to divorce me. I didn't cheat on her or anything like that, but I just, I was mean and I was cruel and I wasn't compassionate and I didn't try and see things from her side. And I wanted her to basically be my version of the perfect wife. Yeah. Uh, and like he actually, Stockdale points out and Epictetus points out, <clears throat> excuse me, there's nothing more morally irresponsible or morally evil than to essentially try and make somebody else into a version of yourself. Mm. Yeah. And control them and manipulate them. So, Stockdale then says, let me close with some other things that follow from the assumption of stoicism. 
that you might not have thought of. The Stoics say that the invincible man is he who cannot be dismayed by any happening outside of his span of control, outside of his will, his moral purpose. Does this sound irresponsible to you? <clears throat> Excuse me. Here you have a man who pays no attention as the world blows up around him, so long as he had no part in causing it. That's such a great line. Mm-hmm. <coughs> I just had this conversation today, actually, with someone who asked me if I'd seen the news about the latest political shenanigans, and I said, no, I don't pay attention. Uh, I don't need to because politicians have been the same since the days of Marcus or Epictetus. Mm-hmm. And as they're not going to change. Epictetus and Marcus both say, if you read, if you read Thucydides' histories, you don't have to read any more oh, history gosh, because right. human beings pretty much just keep repeating the same thing over and over mm-hmm. again. <laughs> Turns out it's true. And so I said, no, I don't pay attention to that stuff because, number one, it just upsets me. And number two, it doesn't affect me. It just doesn't. I want no part of it. I'll take care of my family. I'll take care of my congregation. I'll take care of my neighbor and my community. Mm-hmm. And that's what I work towards, activism, improving my family's life and the, the lives of the people around me. Let the politicians politic. I'm going to take care of my own, mm-hmm. take care of my people. And so... <laughs> Does this sound irresponsible to you? I don't worry about stuff that's outside of my control, outside of my will, outside of my moral purpose. Because if politicians are lying, and I know they are because their lips are moving, why do I care if they're immoral or evil if I myself am immoral and evil? Mm-hmm. Or I worry so much about their immorality, like I was talking about in, in my previous, when I was younger in my relationships. I'm so worried about my girlfriend cheating on me that I don't stop to think about, well, you're cheating on her, though. Like, shouldn't you stop cheating on her first yeah. before you get all upset about the fact that she just cheated on you? Right? That's like, now that I'm older, I can, laugh, I can laugh at the silliness of it and the absurdity of it of being offended and hurt that my girlfriend cheated on me when I've been cheating on her the whole time. Mm. It's like, no, no, you don't understand. I can do that because I'm obviously a better person than you are, and you can't do that. But we it's just so we do that same thing with our politicians. Absolutely. Oh, this guy or this gal is a scumbag. I, of course, am not. But right. you know, um, yes. the the lack of self awareness is right. Usually comical, actually, at this point. Right. Um, well, and. The writer of Proverbs, mm-hmm. I think, correctly says that we re- we get the rulers we deserve. Yes. Yes, we do. And so if you're listening and you're dismayed at the political climate. Right. You voted. This is what you deserve. <laughs> this is what right. I deserve. This is what right. we all deserve. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yep. So... Here, skipping down then, the Stoics believe that every man bears the exclusive responsibility himself for his own good and his own evil. And that leads to their further conclusion that it it is impossible, impossible to imagine a moral order in which one person does the wrong and another, the innocent, suffers. Now add all that to Epictetus' firm belief that we are all born with an innate conception of good and evil and what is noble and what is shameful what is becoming and unbecoming, what is fitting and inappropriate, what is right to do and what is wrong, and further remembering that all Stoic talk refers to the inner man, what is going on, quote-unquote, way down in here, the inner citadel, as Marcus calls it. It follows that the perpetrator of evil pays the full price for his misdeed in suffering the injury of knowing that he has destroyed the good man with him. Man has, quote-unquote, moral sense, and he reaps the benefits and pays the price for his inheritance. Mm. This self-knowledge that you have betrayed yourself, destroyed yourself, is the very worst harm that can befall a Stoic. Epictetus says, quote, No one comes to his fall because of another's deed. No one is evil without loss or damage. No man can do wrong with impunity. Mm-hmm. I call this whole personal guilt package that Epictetus relied upon, quote, the reliability of the retribution of the guilty conscience. As I sometimes say, quote, there can be no such thing as a victim. You can only be a victim of yourself. Yep. Wow. Yeah. There's, that is fantastic. There is a lot there. <laughs> well, and that is, that is, that is such a, a powerful sentence and sentiment. Yes. Not just given 
the victimhood culture, if you will. Right. But the fact that the victimhood culture resides in each and every single one of us. Right. Without exception. Well, I think this goes back. He says this inherently, right, that we're all born with a moral sense. That is, we're all born with a knowledge of good and evil, which theologically speaking, as you cited, Mm -hmm. is what we as Christians and what Jewish folks confess. Yep. That we call it the knowledge of good and evil, we call it the fall, it goes all the way back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. But the philosophers held the same. Yeah. Because this is stuff that's just available to experience. This is natural knowledge that we're all born with this. All you have to do is watch two kids play together, <laughs> and one kid takes away the other kid's toy, and they throw a fit. They know inherently that's wrong. Mm-hmm. But this is the key thing then. Nobody is a victim who is a, not a victim of themselves. Meaning you can only be a victim of yourself. So those who cry out about being victimized, about being triggered, a cancel culture, identitarian politics, what they're really saying is, I'm going to victimize myself and I'm going to use you as the springboard for that. Yep. You're the backstop. Yep. You're just a human trampoline. I'm going to bounce this stuff off of. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing is, and if you say there's no such thing as a victim, you can only be a victim of yourself, they will say, you're victimizing me. Mm-hmm. You're oppressing me. You're torturing me. You're X, Y, and Z political, ideological category, right? Yeah. Versus, no, if you choose not to be harmed, you can't be harmed. Mm-hmm. If you choose not to be a victim, you can't be a victim. You know, that that's really interesting. I uh, Very true. But I saw that... Uh, I'm wanting to say KFC, though I could be wrong. Some fast food chain has come out with a, I'm wanting to say a a chicken sandwich, and the buns are donuts. And so, of course, that's awesome, right? (laughs) I, I, uh, I I will have to uh, try that at some point just to make sure everything's on the up and up with it. That's right, exactly. Got to field test that. There, there is the usual people flipping out over it, mm-hmm. right? On both sides. One thing that the moral busybodies fail to understand is that the, uh, let's say we're even talking about hardcore food addiction here. The person who goes into the KFC and gets, you know, six of those sandwiches and stuffs their face mm-hmm. with them has still done it themselves. Right. KFC did not put a gun to their head and do that. Right. Well, to your point, too, that is one of the first steps that you have to take in recovery from addiction. Mm-hmm. You have yeah. to admit, like I had to admit to myself, my dad never forced me to drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My uncles, my mom, nobody nobody was there saying, if you don't drink this, I'm going to shoot you. Yeah. Well, drugs I are not allowed in the army. Uh, it's the same thing in right. NA, you know. Right. Uncle Sam did not put a weapon to my face and say, hey, you need to do this. Right, yeah. But how much easier is it to take that downward path mm-hmm. of blaming others? Yep, yep. Because then you don't have to take personal responsibility, which is where we started off this podcast. Exactly. Exactly. Because personal responsibility requires that, one, I admit I was wrong. Yeah. And two, I get out the mop and bucket and attempt yeah. to clean this mess up. Right. And that sucks. Right. I, I don't care who you are. That right. is a tough road to hoe. Right. Well, that's why leaders are the first person to show up and the last person to leave. Mm-hmm. A good leader is going to scrub the latrine out with a toothbrush, just like everybody else does. Mm-hmm. They're going to show up. They're going to go shoulder to shoulder with those people. That's what you do. Yeah. You don't lord it over them. You don't make them call you sensei or master or something like that. Yep. You're just you. You're, you're here to learn, too. You just happen to be the leader. You happen to be the teacher. That doesn't make, again, that doesn't place me above you. It just means I'm the guy who's standing in front of you right now. Mm-hmm. So there's, there can be no such thing as a victim. You can only be a victim of yourself. Yeah. And then Stockdale continues, remember, controlling your emotions can be empowering. Your inner self is what you make it. Refuse to want to fear. And you start acquiring a constancy of character that makes it impossible for another to do you wrong. And there, that's a key point too before I pass over mm-hmm. it. 
refuse to want to fear. We talked about this in the last episode. The reason that you want to do wrong to other people, the, ro- the reason you want to play the victim is at root because you're afraid. Mm-hmm. It's fear that drives you to play the victim. It's fear that drives you to roll over and show your belly and go submissive. It's fear. So if you can refuse to want to be afraid and you can confront that fear, you can cage that fear, you can even domesticate it, guess what? More and more you'll find yourself not playing the victim card. Mm-hmm. Because you don't, like you just pointed out, you don't have to be afraid of what you say if, you're, if you take responsibility for what you say, good or bad. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be afraid of what you do if you take responsibility and you're accountable and you own that. Then you can say, I said that. That was my thought. That was what I believed at the time. That's what I thought at the time. I was wrong or I was right. Mm-hmm. This is what I chose to do at that time. This was my choice. And here are the consequences. And I accept the responsibility for those consequences. Yeah. If you don't, it is impossible for someone to not do you wrong. Yep. Because you're afraid of everybody and everything. Well, because... And so, of course, everyone is a threat and everything is a threat. Yeah. Well, because you yourself are doing everyone else wrong. And yes. you know it. You yeah. know it. This is yeah. not some surprise that that right. comes out of nowhere. And, and I don't know, you get a phone call or, or telegraph or something. I, I don't know. Right. But you know it. Right. I mean... Well, it's like we talked about... In, you know this with online gaming too. I'll use this as an example because we stream this on Twitch. There are people, there are a lot of people online who talk a lot of smack mm-hmm. and they're not all 13. No. Those same people who talk that smack online, if they were in an elevator with me going to the 16th floor, I doubt they would talk to me the same way. No, no. It's two different things. When I'm sitting there with a headset on and I'm in front of my TV on the couch or whatever, and I'm 2,000 miles away from you, I can say whatever I want because you're not going to fly to my house mm-hmm. and track me down and give me a good butt whooping. If I'm in an elevator, there's consequences, and I'm going to make you pay that bill. Mm. And it, again, I'm not talking about physical violence either. I'm just saying I'm not going to just let you sit there and say those things to me Yeah. because I'm not, I'm not helping you. And the fact that you can say it from far away but you wouldn't say it to my face in this example shows that you know that what you're saying is not necessarily the best way to speak to another person. Mm-hmm. And so if you're one person online and then a different person in person, one of you is a liar. Yep. Just think about it. Yep. So Stockdale concludes with this. Somebody asked Epictetus, quote, what is the fruit of all of these doctrines? What's the fruit of all this teaching? Epictetus answered with three sharp words. This is the fruit of all these teachings. Tranquility, fearlessness, and freedom. That's it. Mm-hmm. Peace, living without fear, and actual freedom. I, I said this to you too before we went on air. There is, and I'll use Epictetus' words here, there is immense freedom in not being afraid to speak your mind. And there is immense freedom in not worrying about whether you're doing the right or the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. The freedom is you're free to just speak and act in honesty, in um, speak truth in, in a tactful and kind way. Also, being open to walking back what you've said and and admitting, hey, you know what? I didn't say that in the best way. Or, you know what? You're right. I was wrong about that. I I do need to change the way that I think about this. Or, you know, I thought I was doing good by trying to help you, but mm, yeah, I'm sorry about that. I I was too pushy, right? Freedom comes from a lack of fear. Freedom comes from uh, discipline, actually. (laughs) To quote the man, freedom equals discipline. (laughs) <laughs> but it also it also gives you tranquility because there's a peace of mind and never I when you're honest for example again I used to be a pathological liar for sure when I stopped lying I I had to I also was free to stop having to remember my lies and when you start speaking honestly to people again whether they receive what you're saying as good bad or otherwise the freedom to just say what you're thinking is the freedom to speak honestly and soberly and not have to worry about, oh, no, what did I say to so-and-so yesterday? I got to, oh, man, I got to remember what I said to her. Because if I run into her, into her again today, I, oh, okay, well, what did I do? Oh, man. And I used to do that with so many people that I started to have a breakdown. Hmm. Because I just couldn't keep the web of lies straight. Who I was robbing, who I was stealing from, who I was lying to, who I was betraying, so forth and so yeah. on. It's a lot of work to be morally evil. It, it just is. It's a lot of work. Hmm. 
but it's even more work to be morally good when you're surrounded by people who don't actually care about being good. Don't even think about it. Don't want to talk about it. Well, because we base that definition of good on whatever the heck it is we are doing. So exactly. I'm a used car salesman, for example. Not not really, but as an example. And well, you are going to be a pastor. It's basically oh something. gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, why though? Why though? <laughs> Speaking of self-inflicted injury. Ugh, good grief! That's a whole nother topic. Um. Maybe that'll be our next special episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was actually thinking um, unpacking discipline equals freedom. I think that might be yeah, we can do that really for sure. Cool, but the the used car salesman, the the cliche one, robs people for a living, right? Mm-hmm. This is this is what this guy does. Period. So when he says oh, I am a good man, or I wish to be a good man, whatever. He's basing that on the fact that he robs people for a living. Right. Probably turning around and justifying it by saying, well, you know, I, I live in a wealthy suburb. I, right. uh, you know, these people can afford it, whatever. Right. And it's not just the used car salesman that this applies to. How many times have you seen or heard of a tragedy in um, I don't know a ritzy part of Manhattan or whatever and you go oh well you know they can afford that or whatever shoot Oh no. The VPN disconnected and I don't know why. Are you still there? Yeah. Okay. The VPN disconnected for a second there That's and fine. then I was going to say it doesn't matter if you disconnect when you're recording on Audacity because it's recording your audio straight into Audacity. Yeah. So even if it drops out on my end, I'm only recording my audio on my end. So just yeah, oh, don't worry duh. about it. Yeah, okay, cool. Well, yeah, I kept it recording, yep. so. Yeah, right. not a problem. Sweet. So, three, two, one, go. Whenever we see the misfortunes of others, or we ourselves justify bringing misfortune onto others, we can by no means be good. So, if you want to be that guy who is preaching about why everyone else needs to be good, quote unquote, but then you get onto social media and just blast people and slander and gossip about them, so on and so forth, you're not good. And you know that. This yeah. is why you're on social media talking about right. this in the first place. Like, th- right. this. This is the problem. It's right. immensely difficult. And, and to go back to the statement that Epictetus makes about good and evil, it's not that he's denying natural law or that mm-hmm. there are things which are good and evil outside of us, but he's shifting the emphasis. And he's saying, no, 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 right, no, no. Right. your concern needs to be with the good with you building the good within you and tearing right. down the evil within yes. you. Because the end game, and if you're wondering, if you're listening to this, wondering, well, why should I read the Stoics? Why should I read meditations or, or discourses? Because what you're shooting for, whether you know it or not, by reading Epictetus or Marcus Aurelius, for example, is you are shooting for tranquility, fearlessness, and freedom. Mm-hmm. Tranquility in, in a mental sense peace in your own mind, peace in your own body, peace in your own relationships. Mm -hmm. You're shooting for fearlessness, like I talked about, not being afraid to express yourself, not being afraid to act, and then ultimately freedom. Mm -hmm. The freedom to actually live and move and be a loving, kind, caring, honest, sincere person. Mm -hmm. And all that goes with it. A just person, a courageous person, a person who has practical wisdom, and a person who understands prudence understands some desires are to be avoided and some desires are to be pursued 
And that's really the four kind of pillars, the four virtues of Stoic philosophy is justice, practical wisdom, prudence, and courage. Yep. So definitely recommend Pierre Hadot's The Inner Citadel. Definitely recommend um, How to Be a Stoic uh, by Pagliucci. And you can find all these on the um, uh, Instagram page that I post pictures of these books for you guys. And then, yeah, this kind of wraps it up for us with uh, James Stockdale on the Stork Warriors Triad. Thank you so much for listening. If you like us, please leave us a review at uh, Apple Podcasts. Share us with family and friends. Link up on social media. Tag us. We'd love to hear back from you. If there's something you'd like us to read, we'd also like to hear back from you on that. Mm -hmm. And next episode, we'll either read read Discipline Equals Freedom by Jocko Willink or we'll read Beowulf, the Seamus Haney translation. So Bill votes for Beowulf, apparently. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. So, Glorious. Yeah, it gets, whenever, actually, you can go on YouTube and he reads his uh, translation of Beowulf. Does he? There's audio on, yes, it's it's two parts on, on YouTube. And uh, I'm Irish, so it, it genetically, it, it affects me at a very epigenetic level. I like it. Listening to him read Beowulf. It makes me want to go out and conquer something. Right. <laughs> right, build a longhouse and serve mead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But maybe we'll do that. We haven't touched on fiction yet, so maybe we'll do that. That'll be fun. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be real good. Talk about the warrior ethos in the, what, early 900s when that was written? Oh. Or was it the 700s? Anyways, we'll get to it. But as always, we really do appreciate everything that you do to support this podcast. And we uh, thank you for your time and attention. We know it's valuable. So we hope that it's been rewarding and that you found this podcast helpful. And we'll come back next week for a brand new episode. Bill, you got anything left? Thank you for listening. Peace. Noise. Oh, yeah, I got to hit stop.